Lord, we do thank you for this time of worship uh, through your word. We thank you for your word, which is uh, so instructive to us. Uh, Lord, as we come to it today, we just pray that our hearts and minds would be open to hear your word and that our lives would be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're approaching the end of Abraham's story, and so as we come to uh, chapter 24 here, uh, Abraham is now uh, 140 years old, so he's, he's starting to get up there, but he's still got uh, a bunch of years left to live, uh, but not a whole lot is recorded towards the end of his life. We just know from what God has said that the Lord has blessed him in every way, and so he promised land, seed, and blessings, and that's what he's got so far. And for Abraham, as he becomes older, it becomes more important to him uh, to put his affairs in order and to, and to know that he's going to leave the legacy uh, that he wants to leave. And so uh, he's, he's got this seed blessing now. He's got Isaac, uh, and he, he's, he's uh, really interested now in, in there being more seed, and so he needs to secure uh, a wife for uh, Isaac. And so uh, in that culture, it was, it was quite common, in fact, uh, that, that was the rule, that you would find a wife for your husband, even though, uh, uh, a husband for your wife and a wife for your husband. So even though Isaac is 40 years old, did I get that right? Husband, uh, a husband for your wife, a son, that's it, a husband for your son, a wife for your son, yeah, okay. Uh, close. Yeah. I'm sure there's some kind of cultural... <laughs> snafu there. Anyway, uh, so, so that's what they did in that culture. They would, they would look to find a wife uh, for their son, and so that's what happened in those days. Even though Isaac's 40 years old at this point, uh, he wasn't going to find his own wife. His parents were going to find a wife for him. And so uh, I have a friend from India, uh, and he lives in New Jersey now, and uh, he had an arranged marriage, and, and I had never met anybody with an arranged marriage before. And so I asked him, you know, how could you leave uh, a decision so important, so permanent, uh, so life-changing to somebody who is not you? And he said, well, uh, I, I know my parents, my parents know me, uh, I love God and I trust God, and I'm going to allow these people who I trust to make this decision for me. And, and I was stunned by that, but it was incredible because they've been married a long time and it's worked out uh, great. It, it's been a wonderful marriage for them. And so... Um, uh, you know, he trusted God with this incredible decision, and Isaac uh, trusted God, and he trusted Abraham, his father, to make this decision for him. Uh, Isaac's wife was going to be the mother, was going to be the, uh, the mother of all the seed, and she was going to be an ancestor of Jesus. So they could not mess this up. They had to get this right. Uh, and with God's guidance, with God's help, uh, they were going to get this right. And so the thing that I want you to see most from this chapter uh, is that God blesses people who are walking in his will. And that's what we have here. We have a bunch of people walking in God's will and God blessing that. Uh, we see God providentially guiding events, but we see his faithful servants doing what God would have them to do so that they would know his will. Uh, and, and so God is directing events, and yet people are on the path that God would have them on so that uh, God is able to accomplish his purposes. And so uh, in this chapter, we're going to see uh, Rebecca's, uh, I'm sorry, Abraham's faith, the servant's faith, Rebecca's faith, 
and then the, the intersection of, of the faith of all these people and God's will in the marriage of Isaac uh, and Rebekah. So let's get started. We'll read the first nine verses. Uh, this is Abraham's faith as he charges his servant uh, with the task of finding a wife for Isaac. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Well, as I read this story, uh, verse 7 really stands out to me because in verse 7, this is where Abraham professes his unconditional faith in God, that, that this God who made these promises to me, he will send his angel before and you will find a wife uh, for Isaac there. And so Abraham puts his, his servant under this oath and he wants him to swear to him three things. Uh, three things that, that are very important to Abraham. And the first one was that he would not take a wife from among the Canaanites. The Canaanites are godless pagans. And, and if Isaac were to marry a godless pagan, uh, she would draw him away from the true God. That's the way it works when we, when we marry unbelievers. And so that's why God charges us in his word do not be unequally yoked. Do not marry an unbeliever because that unbeliever will pull us away from God. So that's the first thing. The second thing that, that the Abraham makes the servant swear is that he will go to Abraham's relatives to find a wife. And so what we see here is that because of all the pagans around him, he knew that he wasn't going to find a wife from there. Uh, what he says is, just back in chapter 22, remember, uh, he had gotten news that his family from uh, Nahor, uh, back in Haran, uh, that they were prospering. And so Abraham says, I know where I can find a wife. Go back to my relatives in that city of Haran, uh, from the relatives of Nahor, and find a wife from among them, because there would be godly people found there. And then the third thing that Abraham makes him swear is that he will most certainly not take Isaac out of the land. If the woman won't come, she's not the right woman. So keep looking for another woman. Uh, he knows that if, if, if Isaac uh, is taken out of the land, then the land and the seed are separated. And that's not good. The seed is supposed to prosper in the land. That's where they're, they're supposed to go together. And so uh, he, he will not allow Isaac to go back to the land of Haran, where the family is from. Uh, she's got to be willing to come. And so Abraham's faith is very strong. We see that in verse 7. He knows that the angel is going to find a wife for Isaac among these people. And the servant buys into that faith. The servant, servant says, okay, I will bind myself to this very strange ritual oath where you put your hand under somebody else's thigh and you swear. Now, 
Uh, what is with this? Why would you put your hand under somebody else's dirty, filthy, sweaty thigh and make this oath uh, about what you were going to do? Well, one commentator says that, that the thigh indicates the procreative power and heritage of the patriarch's position as head of the family. And so it's about authority, right? You're acknowledging the authority of the patriarch when you put your hand under his thigh. Now, for me, I would have been perfectly content with a handshake and, and send him on his way. Uh, but this is the way they did it back then, and, and so that's how they did it. Uh, and, and the servant then took this oath very seriously. So let's look at his journey, and let's look at his prayer. Uh, we'll start in verse uh, 10. We'll go through 15. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master." So you have the servant. He gathers up these 10 camels and a lot of valuable goods that he was going to take with him because he needed those valuable goods to pay as dowry to the family of whoever Isaac's wife was going to be. And a camel can walk about 20 to 25 miles in a day. So it may have taken nearly a month to travel the nearly 500 miles that it takes to get from Canaan uh, back to Mesopotamia. Here's a map from uh, where, where Abraham lives here, down in the Shechem area. And this is the route that he would have taken back up the same way they came when they first originally came from Haran, all the way back up here. Uh, that's about a 500-mile walk uh, by camel. So this is not an easy journey uh, that he's going to take to find a wife uh, for, for uh, Isaac. Uh, and when they arrived, uh, he prays, the servant prays this very specific prayer to God. He asked that, that when he approached this woman, that, that this woman would not only offer him a drink, but offer to water the camels as well. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if when we prayed to God, we said, uh, God, if I do this and you do this, then I will know that it is your will that, that these things happen, right? But, but God doesn't always operate that way. Uh, sometimes the conditions that we put on the thing that we're asking for God are actually not in his will, even though the ultimate thing may be in his will. So let me give you an example. When, when we were moving from New Jersey to Texas so that uh, we could attend seminary, we decided that we were going to put the house on the market in March, uh, hopefully sell it in June, uh, move in August, and get the kids started in school right at the start of the school year. That was very important to us. Uh, at that time that they would be there for the start of school. Uh, well, what we were doing was we were putting conditions on God. We were saying, we'll go, but we'll go only if you sell our house at this particular time. Uh, and God said, well, I, I do want you to go, but I, but I don't like your conditions. And so we did not sell the house uh, when we wanted to sell the house. And so we took the house off the market after it didn't sell. We put the house back on the market again the following March. Uh, again, the house didn't sell in time for us to be here for uh, the start of the school year, but we left the house on the market that time. The house ultimately sold in December. 
we got here for the start of the school year, at least the second half of the start of the school year, in January, and everything worked out fine. And the things that we were all worried about in terms of uh, our kids needing to start the school year when the rest of school started turned out to be completely unfounded, and, and there was nothing to worry about. So God's ultimate goal was for us to be in Texas, but the conditions that we placed on that were not his goal. So when we put conditions on things, uh, sometimes we can get in God's way, and that's what we were doing. Well, I wish it was his normal practice for, for us to just lay out a fleece and say, God, leave the ground dry and the fleece wet, and then we know. But that's not always how God operates. But in this particular instance, uh, God accommodated himself to the servant's request. Uh, and so let's take a look at how God answered uh, this servant's prayer. Uh, verses 15 to 21 now. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor came out with a jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, and she ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Well, is there any doubt that God's fingerprints are all over this providential meeting? I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, the, the, the servant didn't know. He came to Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is a big place, by the way. Mesopotamia means between the rivers. So it would encompass all the area between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. It's a large area. Uh, but so because it's such a hard thing, he didn't know how far he might have to go, how long it might take. And so he asked God, please have this woman come to me. And as soon as he gets there, this woman does come to him. He prays for this woman to come and look at the things that he's looking for in a wife, right? She's got to be strong. She's got to be full of grace. She's got to have a servant's heart. Uh, she's got to be fair to look at. She's got to be hospitable, uh, wholesome, a woman of good character, uh, a, a godly woman, in short. Uh, so she, she had to love God and she had to want to serve God. And uh, some of you uh, young men are going to be looking for a wife uh, soon enough before you know it. And, and these are the qualities that you need to be looking for in a wife. This is the kind of, of woman, uh, a godly woman that it is that you want to marry. So uh, don't settle. Ask God for wisdom and he will show you uh, that the qualities that Abraham was looking for are the qualities that, that we ought to be looking for in wives too. Well, before the servant had even finished speaking, so while he's still praying, Rebecca comes out and he asks her for water. And she gives it to him, and without prompting, she says, and I will water your camels also. I want you to understand what it is that Rebecca did here, because there were 10 camels, and a camel can drink up to 40 gallons of water in a single sitting, especially after a long walk in the desert. So that's 400 gallons of water. A gallon of water weighs a little more than eight pounds, so that's about 3,200 pounds of water that Rebecca hauled to water all these camels. Now, how much, how much water do you think Rebecca could carry at a single time? Maybe five gallons, seven gallons? How many trips do you think she had to make before she watered all these camels? She might have made 100 trips back to the well, uh, back to, 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 to get all these camels watered. And so uh, 
I think that the servant was probably pretty pleased with what he had seen from Rebecca, right? She, she was strong. She was hospitable beyond any, any reasonable cultural expectation of the time uh, to do this and to water all of these camels. Uh, and so you see that the servant is there watching her the entire time. Might have been nice if he got up and maybe lent, lent a hand, right? <laughs> but he doesn't do that. He just watches her the whole time to see uh, if she's the one. Uh, and so there's another criteria. He has to know, is she from among Abraham's relatives? So let's look at verses 22 to 27. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing 10 shekels in gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Well, praise the Lord. She's from Abraham's family, right? Another criterion checked off the list. And upon hearing this, and that, that she would give them lodging, him and his entourage, uh, he bows down and he worships God. Uh, because he knows his journey has been successful, although Rebecca doesn't know that yet. I want to focus on this verse 27 uh, for a second. Notice that there is divine guidance and there's human responsibility both present at the same time. The servant is thankful to God because God has not forsaken his loving kindness to Abraham and God has guided the steps of the servant. But the servant still had to go and he had to be on that path. He was committed to Abraham's will. He made Abraham's will his own and he sought to be on that path to receive God's blessing. And so if we want to receive God's blessing, uh, we need to be seeking it in his will as well. Uh, Proverbs verse three, uh, chapter three, verses five and six, a verse you all know very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, in the first three phrases of that, you have things that we do, right? We trust in the Lord and we do not lean on our own understanding. And, and we, in all our ways, acknowledge him. And then he makes our paths straight. And so what we have is, is, is the servant walking in God's will, trusting in God's will, going where Abraham and God would have him go, and then he got the blessing. And so that's what the servant does. But the servant still had not stated his business to Rebecca, which would have been wholly inappropriate in that culture to, to make the proposal to, to Rebecca. And so he needs to speak to his family. First, he showers her with gifts, and then she runs off uh, and shows her mother in her mother's house. So let's take a look at verses uh, 28 through 33. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside, since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels, and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. 
But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, speak on. Well, later in Genesis, we learn more about the opportunist that Laban is, right? In Laban's dealings with Jacob. Uh, here, what we see, maybe a preview of what we'll see later in Genesis, is that first, Laban saw the bracelets, and then she heard Laban's story, or uh, Rebecca's story, and then he invited the uh, servant and his camels and his entourage in. So uh, Laban was no dummy. He saw a rich man, and he knew one, and he saw that there was a chance that, that he would be able to profit from this thing. So the servant comes in, but, but he says that he will not eat until he states his business. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip verses 34 to 48, which is basically the servant simply recounting the story that we already know up to now. But the servant stressed the blessing that God had given to Abraham uh, and that Isaac was going to inherit it all. Uh, there, were, there was no rival that he needed to worry about sharing the inheritance with and that uh, the servant's mission was to find a wife from among Nahor's family. So, so now Bethuel and Laban and Rebekah all know uh, what is going on here and why he's there. And, and the reader now has heard the story and the reader understands that God has chosen Rebecca, that this is the woman. But imagine Rebecca as she's sitting there, uh, a young lady hearing this story for the first time, how she's sitting on the edge of her seat, the excitement of hearing this story and this adventure that she is about to embark on uh, as potentially being uh, this wife uh, for Isaac. And, and so the servant has recounted the story and what he's going to do now is he's going to ask the family for a decision. He puts forth the story and, and then there's going to be a request for a decision. God has made it known that Rebecca is the woman who has been chosen, but there's still one more criterion that she must have. She has to be willing to return to Canaan and not stay there. Uh, so let's, let's see what she does. Let's read verses 49 through 61. He's asking Laban and Bethuel for a decision now. Uh, so if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. If not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or the left. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you, bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days. Say 10. Afterwards, she may go. He said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, may our sister become thousands of ten thousands and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Well, to Bethuel and Laban's credit, they recognize the providence of God and they say, we're not going to stand in the way. This matter is clearly from the Lord. So take her and go. They couldn't speak bad or good against it because they knew that the matter came from the Lord. 
Now, I think it certainly helped to grease the skids of the decision a little bit that they were showered with all kinds of gold and silver and lots of other articles, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They, 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 uh, they agreed to let her go. Uh, and it was customary for the prospective bride to stay a little time with the family. I mean, this is all new to them. They've only heard this, what, 12 hours ago maybe, and now this servant is looking to take Rebecca uh, and go. Uh, and he's going to go a 500-mile uh, camel walk away. That's a, that's a long way. Uh, and so uh, Rebecca, to her credit also, she recognized what was going on here. Uh, and, and so when they consult her, she's all, all willing to go. But, but before that, it's the 10-day it's the period that the servant is, is concerned about because uh, he's worried that something is going to happen, that, that uh, they might change their minds. And, you know, I understand where Laban and Bethuel and, and her mother are coming from because if she's going to go a long way away. They may never see her again. Uh, who knows? Uh, when we were about to take Allison to college, uh, you know, in the week leading up to that, we just wanted to stretch out every day, right? As the time came and it, it became more difficult, you know, the, the day is coming. We're going to have to let her go. And, and it was going to be a sad day. And we just didn't want any of those days to end. And, and so uh, when we finally had to take her and, and you drop her off and that's it, that, that's kind of what Laban and, and Bethuel and, her mo and uh, Rebecca's mother were doing here. Uh, Allison went two hours down the road to Waco, uh, you know, Rebecca went 500 miles uh, through the desert on a camel, so it's a lot different. Uh, Rebecca wasn't coming home on weekends to have her laundry done. So, <laughs> so that is how Rebecca's story goes, and so she's willing to go. She, she uh, is asked, right, at this point, she's, she's asked, will you go? Uh, and she says, yeah, I will go. And so it's wonderful that Rebecca... Uh, understands and recognizes God's providence and she is willing to go this long journey from which she may never see her family again. She recognized God's providence and when you know God's will then it's important that there is no delay in accepting God's will and doing what God has for you. Uh, and it's just like when we hear the gospel for this first time, right? When you hear the gospel, Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead uh, so that you may have eternal life. When you hear that, there is no reason to delay a decision. When you hear that, that's great news, and we should jump on that decision, and we should say, yes, I accept the Lord Jesus as my Savior. Uh, and so many people die having put off that decision, whether or not to trust Jesus as their Savior or not, and, and, and when they die, not having made that decision, it's too late. Well, I love the blessing that Abraham's, or that uh, Rebecca's family gives to her. Um, look at what, what they say. They say, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your de uh, descendants possess the gates of your enemies. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because that is the same blessing that God gave to Abraham when he offered up Isaac at the end of chapter 22. He said, uh, I will by your seed greater than the stars in the sky and the sand of the shore, and your descendants will possess the gates of your enemies. Uh, so amazing that Bethuel and Laban, 500 miles away, pray the same prayer uh, that God had blessed Abraham with. And so uh, Laban and Bethuel were praying in God's will. And we know from the story that God's will will be done uh, as, the, uh, as, as the Old Testament uh, continues. Well, after the blessing, you have... Uh, Rebecca and Abraham and uh, Rebecca's nurse and whoever Abraham brought, brought I'm sorry, uh, the servant brought with them, get up and they, they saddle up the camels and they're headed back for Canaan. And 
Can you imagine uh, this girl's excitement? Can you imagine how this girl peppered the servant with questions, right, for the 500 miles back to uh, Canaan? Uh, what's he like? What's he look like? You know, is he, is he nice? Is he, you know, just thousands and thousands of questions. I bet the questions never ended until the servant finally said, there he is. Go, go ask him. <laughs> so it must have been a fun, a fun journey back. But let's see what happens uh, as we get to the end of the story. We'll, we'll see how God's will Uh, and uh, the faith of all these people in the story intersect in the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. Verse 62. Now Isaac had come from going to Bir Lehe Roy, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man? walking in the field to meet us. And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Well, it's interesting that Isaac has, has branched out on his own now. He's not living in Hebron with Abraham anymore. He's moved out to the Negev, and he would spend most of his life in that area. And it's interesting that the servant has to pass right by Abraham to get to the Negev to go see the servant. He doesn't even stop to see Abraham. He continues right down to the Negev. And so this is, this is where he ends up going. He's, he's coming down this way. He passes uh, Hebron, which is here and continues on further south toward the Negev. Uh, This is where Isaac is residing at that time. And I think what's happening here is that the author is going to tell the story of how Abraham dies in the next chapter. And so the author is making this transition from how these blessings have flowed to Abraham. Now they're going to flow to Isaac. And so the servant comes past Abraham to Isaac. Uh, Also interesting is that Uh, when Rebekah asks the servant, who is that man? The servant says, he is my master. Not Abraham is my master, right? He, Isaac, is my master. And so this transition uh, is being emphasized here, and and there will be blessings continued, but they'll happen in the life of Isaac uh, and Rebekah. And so uh, she lifts her eyes. He lifts his eyes. They see each other uh, for the first time. Uh, And then Isaac takes her into his tent, and they, they become... Uh, husband and wife uh, at that time. And she, he loved her, and she comforted him after his mother's death. And isn't that just a wonderful picture of what marriage is, right? You have two people who come together, and they love each other, and they offer each other comfort in, in times of difficulty, and they, they live long together, and, and they just have a wonderful and long marriage. And that, that's what the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca is going to look like. Well, the stage is now set uh, for the departure of Abraham next chapter and for the continuation of all these blessings that God has promised through Isaac and his line. And there's so much in this chapter about how you have God's providence, God working on, one, on the one hand, and yet human, pe- human people exercising their faith on the other hand and how they intersect and how God's will is done in that way. So we were thinking about how we're going to obtain God's blessing and how was how was Abraham going to obtain God's blessing? How was the servant going to obtain God's blessing? Uh, how were Isaac and Rebekah going to obtain God's blessing? And the first thing I see here is, is that if we want to obtain God's blessing, we need to stay in his will. 
See, Abraham knew that it was God's will that, that Isaac marry a godly woman from among his people wherever she could be found, wherever God would have her to be found. Uh, Abraham insisted that the servant get up and go, go and find uh, a wife. Could God have brought a wife to Canaan for Abraham or for Isaac? Of course he could have, but that was not his way. He wanted the servant to get up and go, uh, trust and find this wife. So we see human responsibility and God's providence and sovereignty working together. And oftentimes we can think that there is a, a conflict or a contradiction between, God, between God's sovereignty and human responsibility, right? So we have this dilemma. Uh, if God is sovereign, how is it that anything that we do can affect the outcome of anything? But on the other hand, if human responsibility and the things that we do affect outcomes, then how is God sovereign? That seems like a tension that can't be overcome. Well, there is a tension, and we don't have to understand everything there is to understand about God because God teaches us clearly throughout his word that there is God's sovereignty and there is human responsibility. Let's look at this one verse, John 6:37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. In the first half of the verse, God's sovereignty. All who the Father gives me will come to me, right? They will come. But secondly, and the one who comes to me, human responsibility, I will not cast out. You have both in the same verse, and there are many examples like that throughout the Bible. Uh, we're not able to understand it necessarily, but that doesn't mean it isn't true. We, there are limits to our human understanding. Uh, God is bigger than us. That, that should not come as a surprise to any of us, right? That God knows more than we do, and his understanding is greater than our understanding. So for the servant to get the blessing, he had to go. Uh, and Abraham had to send him. And Bethuel and Laban and Rebekah all had to say yes. God's sovereign, but they all had to say yes to his plan in order for God's will to be done here. So it's great that, that we understand that we need to stay in God's will. But how do we even know what God's will is so that we can stay in it? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> to obtain God's blessing, pray in his will. If we pray in his will, we will know what God's will is, right? God will reveal his will to us if we are, if we are seeking his will actively, if we're, if we're asking him what his will is. Um, just ask him to show you what he wants. We see in this, in this story that the servant prayed a very specific prayer. Uh, he asked that Rebekah come to him and that uh, she would offer to water both him and the camels. And so... God doesn't always answer our prayers exactly the way we ask them, but look what, he, look what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So God hears our prayers and God answers our prayers. We just have to pray them with the right motivation. We know from James chapter 4 uh, that, that, that James writes, uh, you do not have because you do not ask, but if you ask, you may ask with the wrong motivation. So seek God's will, not your own will. Seek his glory, not your own glory. Uh, and then that's when you get the blessing is. Uh, that, that's when the blessing comes. So if you're seeking his will and if you're seeking his glory, God will show you his own will. And finally, we stay in God's will. We pray in God's will. And finally, to obtain God's blessing, we say his will to others. Your testimony can impact someone else's salvation or help them along on their own faith journey. Each character in this story 
trusted God based on the testimony of the one who went before. Did you notice that as we go through this story? Abraham had great faith. And because of his great faith, the servant bought into his great faith and, and he took up the mantle of Abraham's faith and he went on this journey. And because of his faith and because of his testimony, Bethuel and Laban and Rebekah all believed. Each one saw the providence of God through the testimony of the one who went before. And our faith ought to be like that too. Uh, when we really trust God, we tell others about the blessings that we have in our lives and others either come to faith or they trust God more because of our testimony and they, and they love God more because of, of, of the trust that they have gained in him. So how does God's sovereignty and human responsibility work together? We stay in God's will, we pray in God's will, we say God's will to others, and, and we'll find that God's will will be done. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your incredible word. Lord, we see in this story uh, that you are sovereign, and yet you, we also see in this story that, that you ask us to do things too, to stay in your will uh, so that we get the blessing that you have for us, Lord. Lord, as we think about our lives and we try to apply this message to our lives, uh, Lord, it's my prayer that, that we would, each of us, go to you and ask you what it is that you would have us to do. Lord, how we can impact this world for good. Lord, how we can affect our new home, which we're coming to in the next month or two, uh, for good, Lord. There are people there who uh, are waiting for us to come. And uh, Lord, we can have a great impact in their lives and in our world around us if we will uh, stay in your will, pray in your will, and say your will to others, Lord. We thank you for your great word. We pray that it changes our lives and Lord, that we impact others through your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.